Beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, you know as readers of God's Word that we are called to be people that are thankful. And you also know in your life, practically speaking, in your experience, you're not as thankful as you ought to be. You recognize the lack of giving thanks. You know that when times are difficult, when things come upon us that are uh, discouraging, things that come upon us that are troubling, maybe things that are removed from us, God gives and God takes away and then we become discouraged and we lack giving Him thanks and praise for the things that He gives for our stewardship. You recognize that. We all do. Every one of us have those moments in our lives where we realize that we have not been thankful even in the difficult times of life. But even in the difficult times, the Holy Spirit is working to conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. They're not easy times. Those are hard times. Those are dark nights that can come upon us. We find that even in the psalm here, speaking about the difficult things that have come upon the people of God. But nevertheless, God has a purpose in them, and we can be thankful for that, that He does have a purpose, that He is molding and shaping through those dark and difficult times in our lives, though we know not how He does that. It's mysterious to us. But that He does it because that is the promise given in the Word of God. And that's what we lay hold of. Not my daily experience, but the promise of God. You know, oftentimes we get in positions where the emotions want to jump up into that first place. They want to then instruct and direct how I'm living my life and whether or not God loves me and how I feel about that. But that's just simply idolatry. We are to believe the promises of God. Are there times in your life where you feel as if God is not present? As if God is not working in your life? As if He's not hearing your prayers? Do you sometimes feel that way? Yes, you do. I get it. I understand that. But the fact is, beloved, that the Lord will never leave us and He will never forsake us. So if we're trusting in the feelings at that point, we are denying the promises of God and we're running after idols of the heart. God will never leave us. There are times when God causes His presence not to be known to us. It's a frightful times. And yet, the promise that we cling to is that He is continually conforming us to the image of Christ. That's the covenant promise in Romans 8. We have been redeemed for that purpose. And so, this ought to cause us to be thankful, even in the midst of heartache and hardships, which you find going on here in Psalm 107. We think of, uh, I'll give you two texts, First uh, Thessalonians 5, we are to be thankful uh, in everything. And then Ephesians 5, we are to be thankful for all things. That is the Christian ethic. That's the standard of Scripture. Is that, that's how we are to be. Now, you've heard me say it before. We are redeemed, and so our morality is tending towards that ethical standard of God's Word. But we're not there yet. This life is one of repentance and pilgrimage and confessing and turning always more and more. So we're here in our moral living, and the ethical standard is way up here. They're not together yet, and that's the struggle of faith, to be who I am uh, practically, who I am positionally. That those two would be equal. 
that I am righteous in Christ by true faith, covered and clothed with the robes of Christ. That is my position before God, and yet my practice falls woefully short of that. And so it's a striving to grow in grace as the Spirit of God is making us more and more practically righteous and holy. And so, yeah, Lord, please forgive my thanksgiving because it certainly is not what it ought to be. Forgive me for my lack of repentance. Forgive me for my lack of prayer. Forgive me for my lack of confession. Forgive me for my lack of desire and zeal for worship. Forgive me for my times when I don't want to search your word. Forgive me, Lord, for all of these particular things and virtues that you have given to us. And I have failed and fallen short in so many areas. Forgive me when I have not trusted you. I have trusted others, the experts of the day, rather than what the living God calls us to. Forgive me, Lord. I have fallen short in every area and every aspect of my life. Right? That's a recognition. When you recognize and you can confess, then you can make progress. Then you can truly grow. And you know, when you recognize that, it has a tendency to cause you to be more compassionate to others. Because if you think you've got it wired, and I, I tell you, you don't, but maybe you think you do, then you're going to look down your nose at others. You're not going to be compassionate. You're not going to be long-suffering. You're not going to desire to come alongside of them and help them. Uh, no, you, you're going to put them down. And, and that's the tendency that we have in the Christian life. So, thankfulness. Being thankful to God. Maybe making mental notes to ourselves. Maybe putting little sticky notes to remind yourself. You know, we've got to do something. You can't just continue to stagnate stagnate in your Christian life. Do something to help you, to spur you along, to remind yourself to be thankful to God. Uh, remind one another. Remind as congregation. Remind each other to be thankful. To remind one another of being thankful to God who blesses us so richly and abundantly. As Jacob said, you know, I'm not worthy of the least of your blessings. The least of your truth. Do you recognize that? That God has given us truth? That we know who He is and therefore we know who we are? Do you know that this world of 8 billion people, you know how many billions do not understand what their life is about? What is life all about? What is humanity? What is this world? Why am I here? What am I doing? What's it all about? And God has shown it to us. That our purpose is to honor and to glorify and to serve Him, serving in His kingdom in all of our separate and distinct vocations that He has given us the talents to perform. That in that little sphere, whether you're a school teacher, or whether you work on the farm, whether you're a doctor, a dentist, doesn't matter. Whatever the vocation, a housewife, that's work, that's labor, that's a lot of work. Dealing with kids all day long. Yeah, it's, a, it's the way the world is, right? Uh, what do you do? I'm a housewife. Oh. Like, like that's nothing. Right? That's, like that's not work. And that's, you know, if you're, you're a woman and you don't have a, a profession, then obviously you're not working. That, that's the way that the world views that. But God gives us talents and abilities to serve in different areas. And... You are the one who serves to the glory of God. 
fulfilling His purpose, His will, what He has called you to in that particular sphere, that area. Being thankful at it. So, the unbelieving world. This is what Paul speaks of in Romans 1. The unbeliever will not give God thanks. He is a poacher in God's world. He is the one who takes all the bounties that God provides in this world and he does not give thanks. We know, don't we? We recognize that when somebody is not thankful. And we say, man, how rude is that individual? They snatched that out of my hand and they never even said thank you. Now, Jesus speaks about the the, the lepers, the ten lepers that come to him. And he he cleanses them and they walk away in one. One turns and comes back to Christ and gives him thanks. Now, I do believe that the other nine were excited. They were, they were grateful that they had been healed. I'm certain that they were thankful that they were cleansed. But you know, they didn't stop and return and pick up the cross and follow Christ, denying themselves. They didn't have time to give thanks to the Lord. And Jesus makes note of that. He says to the one who came back, were there not ten that were cleansed? Where are the other nine? There was only one came back, and this one, a Gentile, to give God thanks. Now, where, where do you fall in? As a Christian, one has been washed and cleansed in the blood of the Lamb. Where do you fall in? Are you like the nine? That you are so excited about the cleansing that you run off and you forget to stop and give God thanks? Well, clearly it's one in ten. Ten in a hundred. A hundred in a thousand. Stop and give God thanks. It's pathetic of us, isn't it? It's pathetic of us is that we often think about things that I will give God thanks if He gives me fill in the blank. If God doesn't give me these things, then I won't be thankful. Well, you're then acting like an unbeliever. We are to be thankful in all things and for all things. That is the Christian life. Whether the bank account is full, Habakkuk 3, or whether it's depleted, we are to give God thanks. Do you think you deserve and you earn the air that you breathe right now? We're in a comfortable building and it's cold outside today. We're in a comfortable building and we're worshiping the Lord. You haven't merited that. I haven't merited that. We don't deserve this. We don't deserve a time that we can gather together with our church family, other believers, and worshiping the Lord. We don't deserve that. We haven't earned that. We don't deserve to gather together and look at the table today and look at the feasting that you do. Look at all the food that is on the table. Who provides that? God does. Who gives you strength to get wealth? The Lord does. We didn't earn that. We don't deserve that. And yet God pours that out on abundance to us. 
I've brought this up before. It's amazing. Um, on one uh, cob of corn, uh, there might be, you know, seven or eight hundred kernels on that one piece of corn. That comes from one seed being put into the ground. You talk about the benevolence of God and how he provides. One seed produces six, seven, eight hundred other kernels of corn. God gives richly to us. Beloved, we cannot be like the unbelieving world. We need to give God thanks, give him praise. Psalm 107. Did you notice the refrain? Look at verse 1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Verse 8. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Verse 15. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and his wonderful works to the children of men. Again in verse 21. Again in verse 31. Do you get the theme? It's the theme of giving thanks to God for his wondrous works to the children of men of men. Remembering who God is and what God does, then it exudes thanksgiving from the soul of the redeemed. That God, that the people of God would give thanks to the Lord for his wonderful works. You know, this particular psalm, we don't find the, uh, the human writer. We don't find the name. This 107, if you read 105 and 106, you'll see that they're all connected. It's a theme that all runs together about giving thanks to God. Um, as I said, it doesn't say who the writer is. It doesn't really matter because ultimately we know who the author is. The author is God himself. But the theme is God's people giving thanks to the Lord for all the blessings that he provides. And this uh, particular psalm, you'll notice that it speaks about many different people. It speaks about those that are in prison, those that are hungry, those that are sick, those that are in the wilderness. Are, it speaks about sailors. It speaks about countries in general. It speaks about different aspects as it's going through the Psalms. That God is the one who provides. And he provides in all of these different instances. And he gives them the things that they have need of. And so this is what we find in, in our verse 8. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness. Now you just stop right there for a moment. For God's goodness. Where's God's goodness seen? God's goodness is distinct from God's grace. God's goodness is His benevolence. God's goodness is that which He pours upon all men. I don't deny that. I don't deny that God gives good things to the reprobate. He certainly does. He gives rain and sunshine. These are good things, but that's not grace. God supplies food for the hungry. Those are good things, but it's not grace. God gives drink to those that are thirsty. Those are good things, but it's not grace. God gives to us, notice the medical establishment, the ability in our day to be able to deal with so many difficulties that affect our human body. That's the goodness of God providing for us. It is not God's grace, it is God's goodness, His benevolence towards the children of men. God's grace is Christ. He does not give Christ to everyone. 
He calls all men everywhere to repent and to believe on Jesus Christ. But Christ is given specifically to those whom God has called out of humanity. He has given Christ to them to be the propitiation for their sins. That is the grace of God. The wonder-working power of God to raise up the dead soul and to give new life. To create faith within. To believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. To become the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. That is the grace of God. Now, I think it is so skewed in our day that everybody thinks that everything is grace. You know, I was just thinking I'll draw um, uh, an analogy from a cartoon movie. It was called The Ants. Or no, not that. The Incredibles. In The Incredibles, this kid designs some kind of unit so that he could fly. And what it was is that he said, I am creating these superpowers so that when I create this and then I give it to everybody, then everybody will be a super, which means nobody will be a super. You know, I I see his movies and I draw these analogies. I think that's the way it is today in the church. I think that in the church, everything is regarded as grace and so nothing is grace. Everything. Is regarded as the grace of God. Without making distinctions about the providence of God. The goodness of God. The aseity of God. You know, we don't make these distinctions in our lives. And we need to make these distinctions. But God is good. Isn't that Asaph's problem? Isn't that Jonah's problem? Isn't that what we're seeing with Jonah? You'll see, uh, Lord willing, on Sunday, that's exactly what Jonah says. Didn't I say that this is what you would do? Didn't I say that you would redeem the Ninevites? Didn't I say that you would do this work? He's angry because God redeems wretches and brings them to himself. God's goodness, it's seen. It's seen all around us. It's seen with the bounties of food. It's seen with the beautiful weather, when the sunshine, things that we can enjoy, that puts smile on the face, that warms the heart of man. Oh, that men would give thanks. Did you give thanks to the Lord for the beauty that you see in the created realm? The stars that you see at night that you look at, you didn't create that. I didn't create that. You don't sustain it, and neither do I. God has done this. Do we give Him thanks? We often go about our business and we never even stop to give thanks to the Lord for these wonderful things. And this is what the psalmist is saying. His wonderful works to the children of men. How many things are pleasant in your life? Hot days and you flip on the air conditioner. Which your forefathers did not have. But then they had fans. Which their forefathers didn't have. But then they had the thing to go like this, which their forefathers didn't have. Little things that we often don't think about that we ought to be giving God thanks for. God gives us trees. He is the one who's created the tree. So that men might take trees, cultivate them, make homes. That we might use wood to throw in a fire to warm ourselves and cook our meal. Not to become idolaters and to cut half of it down and this is my God and put it up on the mantle and worship it. No, to throw it in the fire and to rightly know and understand what God has given. To use them and to be good stewards of what God has given. Good stewards. Stewardship. You good steward of the good things that God has given? 
Hey, the settlers, when they first came out here and they wiped out all of the bison, poor stewardship. Killing animals for their tongues and their hides and leaving the meat to rot. Poor stewardship. Poor stewardship of, of God's good creation. Man can be sloppy that way, can he? You and I can be sloppy in that way. The stewardship and the blessings that God has given to us. Oh, that we would be thankful to God for His goodness. God is good. He is the one in whom all the blessings flow. We sing that. He is the one where there is no shadow of turning. God can be trusted. What God says is truth. All that God speaks in His Word revealed in Scripture is truth. All Scripture is God-breathed. It does not change, doesn't deviate, doesn't need altering, doesn't need revision. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It is the eternal word of our God, and His truth endures forever. He has exalted His word above His very name. Give thanks to God for that goodness of knowing that we don't need to write a new Bible because they've been outdated. Oh, you know, we've got refrigerators and electrical gadgets now and phones that we can put on our wrists and, and all the other things. You know, flashlight, you just put it on your head, walk around. That's better than anything that anybody's ever seen before. Right? And this is how we are. We need to give God thanks that His Word doesn't change. God is, knows no degree of change. He is eternally perfect. Now, I, don't, I have no idea what that's like. I can tell you what it is. I can give you a definition. But I, I have no idea experientially. I don't know what it means to be sinless. Christ is a lamb without spot, without blemish. I can apprehend it. I see it in the Word. I can't comprehend it with my mind. It's too wonderful. It's too high. I cannot attain to it. I don't know what it means to live one moment. Beloved, do you grasp that? One moment of one day without sin. Sin has interacted in my life from conception. And then practically, you know, inborn in actual sins. It actually comes out in my life. I know nothing of a day without sin in my life. And yet the goodness of God says, it's coming. That day of perfection, that day when sin is completely purged from your soul. And you dwell in a kingdom of righteousness. No more sin. God wipes away all of our tears. Isn't it amazing? Just that little thing there of tears. Tears oftentimes, not always, sometimes there's tears of joy. But most times when people cry, tears of sadness. And God is going to remove that sadness. What goodness of God to remove that? When I deserve to be in perpetual sadness. And even in this world, He gives us many things to delight the soul. He gives many things that we might smile and give Him thanks. And you think about that? I don't know an existence without tears. I've cried more, as I told you, from 2020 through 2022, more in those two, three years than I have all of my life. And to be done with sin and crying, what a blessing. 
wiping away all of our tears, the wonderful works of the Lord to the children of men. Notice verse 9, he satisfies the longing soul. Isn't this what Jesus does? Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Notice the emphatic, I and I alone will give you rest. You're weary, and it's Christ who satisfies. Why is it? Because he is the good shepherd who cares for his sheep. He provides. This is what Christ has uh, when he took upon, uh, took us upon himself, took us to himself as his sheep. He took that responsibility to feed, to nourish, to care for. You, you parents know what that's like. You know what it is when your kids get to that age, I, I want a pet. And you're like, oh, I'll get you a goldfish. No, no, I, I want a dog. Oh, and you're groaning, right? Because you know that you're going to end up feeding it and cleaning up after it and all the other things. And they promise, no, no, dad, I'll take care of it. But you take that puppy and you bring it into your home. And that's what you're doing, isn't it? You're taking care of it. You're bringing it into your home and you're providing all that it has need of. Because it can't fend for itself. You are the one. Uh, th that's just simply uh, a picture of what happens to us when we're brought into the household of faith. When Christ redeems us, when he brings us to himself, I will feed you. I will nourish you. I will protect you. Oh yeah, and, and, I'll, and I'll clean up after you when you throw up. Because we often do as Christians, don't we? And it's the Lord who provides for all that we have need of. He satisfies the longing soul. He fills the hungry soul with goodness. You know, the Proverbs speak about the Lord bringing, uh, He is the one who's created wine. So He's given man the ability to make wine, and it says it gladdens the heart. Not to be a drunkard, but to enjoy God's good creation. Isn't it amazing little things that we don't take notice of? We've got these little things called taste buds. Now, some of you know, as, as I do as well, that during the COVID time, I went three months without being able to taste food. That was bizarre. That was a strange phenomenon. I had never known anything like that before. Everything tastes like cardboard. Maria, what do you want to eat? It doesn't matter. Whatever. Throw it on the plate. I mean, if I'm blindfolded, it's not going to matter what you put on there. I can't sm smell it. I can't taste it. God has given us, in His goodness, these taste buds. Your mouth explodes with different flavors. How about the ability to smell? You have an olfactory gland that you can smell different smells. Some are delightful, some not so much. But that you can smell the distinctions that God has given in this world. You wake up in the morning after a rain in a hot summer morning and you smell, you can smell the freshness in the air. You know those times when it's hot and it's humid and it rains and the temperature drops 15 degrees and there's just a freshness that you can smell. God did that. He has provided that. That is the goodness of God. From eating and drinking, from being able to see and being able to hear benefits that we take for granted until you don't have it anymore. I talked to a lady uh, yesterday who lost her hearing. And that's one of the things she said, you know, how often we take these things 
for granted being able to hear. Now she has to have hearing aids, and those don't work that well. So we take it for granted, God's goodness and what He provides. He fills the hungry soul. Are you hungry? Now notice this is spiritual. This is not your belly. This is your soul. My soul longs. It thirsts for God. Uh, the, uh, th- this is what the psalmist says in Psalm 42. My, my soul thirsts for the living God. When will God come near to me? When will I come near to the Lord? My soul thirsts. Does, does your soul thirst for the living God? God is the one who provides for that hungry soul. He is the one who fills you up. What does He fill you up with? All that I need. What is all that I need? Christ. I need nothing more than Christ. And God in His goodness fills me up as one who is redeemed by Jesus Christ with the person of Jesus Christ. The filling of the Holy Spirit. Speaking about those, and and the difficulty of this particular psalm is He doesn't give... Uh, the, the, the context of whether is he speaking here of those who sat in darkness, who is he referring to? Is he speaking about those in Egypt? Is he speaking about those in the Babylonian captivity? It doesn't have the reference to. So principally it can apply to both. It can apply to us as well. Let me apply this to us spiritually. This is us. This is us as unbelievers who sat in darkness. It was the light of Christ that dawned that set us free. His rays of light chased away the darkness. He regenerated us. He set us free. The bonds of those prison, the cell, the the handcuffs, the shackles were broken. And we were set free. He led captivity captive and he's given gifts to men. Christ has redeemed us. He's redeemed the Israelites. He brought them out of the furnace of affliction. The iron furnace is what it's referred to. He is the one who broke the bars and led them out and led them into a place of safety, a place where it's comfortable, a place of provision. God did that. He did that with the children of Israel numerous times, bringing them back from captivity. God breaks the iron bars. Those who sat, that's hopelessness, isn't it? That's darkness. That can go to us spiritually, times of depression. Who's the one who breaks those bars? Who's the one who causes the light to shine within the soul again? Who's the one who raises up the downcast? It's God. It's the Lord and it's the Lord alone. Those that were bound in affliction with irons because they rebelled. Notice the discipline that God gives. God disciplines His people. We are those that think that as Christians shouldn't suffer shouldn't have a hard time, shouldn't have difficulty. Everything should be roses, rainbows and unicorns. And you realize in your experience, it's far from that. Those whom the Lord loves, He disciplines. We go astray all the time. It's the Lord who brings us back. He is the one who puts us on the straight and narrow. The ninety and nine he leaves, he comes after the one. The one who wanders away. All we like sheep have gone astray. As the redeemed, we go astray. It's the Lord who brings us back. You know, the shepherd's crook. There is the one is to defend off the predators that come. And the other is to bring back gently 
those that stray. And the Lord is compassionate. He's long-suffering with His people. But He disciplines. We think we live in a playground. We think the Christian life is a playground. Some of you think that. It's all about playing and pleasure. It's all about me and my kingdom and what I'm getting and what I want to do and where I want to go. It's about me. And if I can't have pleasure in it, then I just don't want to do it. That's not the spiritual life of the Christian. Now, are there many things that God richly gives us to enjoy? Absolutely. But beloved, never lose sight of the fact that this is a battleground. We are in a war zone. It's a spiritual battlefield every single moment of every single day. It's a worldview warfare that goes on and we're head on in collision with the world. They are of the world, therefore they speak of as the world and the world hears them. We are of God, little children. Therefore, those who are of God hear us. We speak the things of God. We don't listen to the way that the world is. When the world says, hey, I read this morning on the Roman Catholic monastery that had, well, it's for nuns in training. And they have made a decision, a ruling, that they will now accept male transgenders who are trending to become females. They'll accept them in their convent. That's the world. And that is the Roman Catholics, who are of the world, who are being those that want to please the world, but, you know, have a little bit of God in there. They've departed from the gospel. That is no gospel. That is not the truth of God's word. That is synthesizing with the world, meshing with the world, blending with the world. You're so blended, you don't make a distinction anymore. You're so blended that you don't shine as lights in Jesus Christ. You're so blended now that you look just like the world and the world treats you as its own. That's not the Christian calling. This is warfare. There is a worldview of Scripture and there is a worldview spawned by Satan in the realm in which we live. And they are constantly in conflict. And you, beloved, are to fight the good fight of faith. You are to stand firm and lay hold on the truth. So there is rebellion that goes on. There are those at times despising the counsel of the Most High. God, the Infinite One, the Most High, uh, He is the One of Majesty. That's what He refers to. God is of infinite power. Uh, speaking of El, the Hebrew term. And then Jael Yohan is the, the majesty of God, the most high God. It brings those two together. God is majestic and the most high, powerful God. And yet we, we want to rebel against Him. We want to think it's going to go well if we just close our ears to His word. No, the Lord will discipline. He brought them down. He brought down their heart with labor. We find this with the children of Israel, don't we? We find those that were held captive to Babylon. God brought them down with hard labor. There was difficult times. There was sadness and depression. And that's, that's all that rebellion against the Lord can bring. Sadness and depression. Do believers fall into that? Uh, you know you read from Genesis to Revelation and you find believers again and again doing that which is contrary to what God calls them. And therefore God's hand coming down against them. 
They fell down and there was none to help. God knocks you down. Mankind cannot pick you up. God knocks you down and brings you low and brings repentance into your life. There is none to help you. Jeremiah says, Lord, you have deceived me and I am deceived. And what he means by that is God did not reveal something to Jeremiah. And he was blinded to that. And if God doesn't reveal it, then you are completely blind. When David was put out by the Lord and he wouldn't confess and repent of his sin, there he lay. He was a miserable, sick man. It was almost a year that went by in David's life. And no man could rouse the king. No man could lift him up. God alone could bring him out of that sleepy slumber, that depression, that despondency, that lack of desire to worship the Lord. He had no desire for the things of God. No desire to worship. No desire to enter in. Would not give God thanks. The sweet psalmist of Israel. We see so much of the thanksgiving that David gives in the Psalms, and he wasn't giving it. Because there is none to help. God alone is our help. He is our shield, and He is our great reward. And so what do we do? Just as they do, cried out to the Lord. Isn't that us? Isn't that our lives? You know, too often we want to abstract ourselves from this. Beloved, this is us. This is you, and this is me. We do the same thing. And we cry out because there's none to cry out to but the Lord. And the Lord, in His mercy, in His compassion, in His goodness, He comes. What does He do? He saves them out of their trouble. All of their distresses. God does that. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for His goodness towards the children of men. That God delivers us out of these things. He brings them out of darkness and out of the shadow of death. God always providing the needs of His people. What do you have to be thankful for? You have been forgiven. What do you have to be thankful for? That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believeth on him shall not perish but have everlasting life. You are those that will not perish. Why? God has given you everlasting life. Why? You've believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because the Holy Spirit has raised you up spiritually, granted you faith to believe on Christ. Why? Because it pleased God to do so. Therefore, all the thanks, all the praise belongs to God. What do you have to be thankful for? That God has given you an abundance and he calls you to enjoy it richly. But don't forget to give him thanks. What do you have to be thankful for? That even in my rebellion, in the times when I go astray, God will never let me walk away. I can fall down on shipboard, but he will never allow me to fall overboard. I will never fully and finally perish. Why? Christ has redeemed me. I am the one that Christ came after to bring me back to the 99, so that none that he has given his life for would be lost. That's the promise. It is an impossibility that any for whom Christ lived and died can be lost. What a blessing. What a thanksgiving that I have a savior. I have a shepherd. I have one who will discipline me when I go astray, who will keep me on the straight and narrow. Why? Because I'm not strong enough to keep myself on the straight and narrow. It's not about my efforts. 
It's about the Savior, the Good Shepherd, the one who loves me, who gave himself for me, keeping me on the straight and narrow, moving me along. How? Gently, softly. He continues that work because he is the Good Shepherd who provides for his sheep. What do you have to be thankful for? That all things in life, doesn't matter what it is, the most horrendous event that you can think of that would come upon you, that God uses even that to work together for your good. The evil events, maybe the natural evil, the moral evil of mankind, God uses all things working them together, the evil things that even come upon us that he sends to mold us and shape us into the image of Jesus Christ. We are to be thankful in all things because the perspective that is given to us by the Spirit and the Word is that God is always working in my life in the sunny days and in the cloudy days to make me like His Son and ushering me continually on the highway of holiness so that at last, one day, that I am one who then appears in the kingdom of heaven. That is the thanks that we owe to God. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and his wonderful works to the children of men. Amen. Shall we pray?